to the Broken Metatarsal. My name is Rich Williams and here is Series 3, Episode 2 of our podcast from Planet Football, where we celebrate everything that Naughty's football had to offer. Joining me today, a Stoke supporter who loves Ricardo Fuller more than his immediate family members, it's Mark Holmes. Well, be fair, level pegging. Level pegging, I'd say, Rich. <laughs> On the same, the same yeah. level as Ricardo yeah. Fuller. Okay, you've gone for a diplomatic response. That's understandable. And also with us, a Derby supporting comedian. Does help to see the funny side of things if you're a Derby fan. TBM semi-regular guest, Mark Smith. Yeah, yeah, all right, mate. Stop twisting the knife immediately. This is unacceptable. It was so obvious and I, I almost regret doing it, but it just it just seemed like the obvious route to take, mate. So what can I say? Yeah, well, you, I, I, I mean, again, I find myself talking about the 11-point Premier League record-breaking season. And I, you know what? I don't actually want to talk about it that much, but <laughs> keep on doing it. Keep on wheeling it out. Your moment will come in today's podcast. Don't you worry about that. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Football Index, the football stock market where you can buy and sell players for real money. Sign up today at footballindex.com and take advantage of their seven-day £500 money-back guarantee. T's and C's available online. And if you get a moment, check out begambleaware.co.uk. So our player special today is a footballer who played in all of England's five World Cup 2002 matches, won a League Cup, reached a Champions League semi-final, played for City under Sven and famously booted Newcastle's Craig Bellamy as he was lying on the ground off the actual pitch. We are talking about Danny Mills. Um, who we had a chat with and was great. He was great. He was brilliant. It's a little bit different to the Martin Larson podcast and that we, we weren't purely focusing on Danny's career. But when we were looking through, we just realised he, he was just there for all the big moments. He was there at the, you know, the broken metatarsal World Cup because of the broken metatarsals of Gary Neville. You know, he, he was there when the Man City money came in and we never even got around to speaking to him about that. He, you know, he was there to see the Invincibles when Leeds had a great rivalry with Arsenal. So he was just a great person to speak to about some of our favourite moments. Oh, and crucially, he was there for the Derby <laughs> County record-breaking season. Only briefly, give him a break. And it was his he last was in the his career. Room, still counts. <laughs> yeah, He's culpable. Can it just be noted for the record that I didn't mention that at that point, but Mark Smith mentioned at that point about Derby, it. the fact that he was there. Not, not me, not me. But Mark's absolutely right. I mean, I actually think that Danny Mills is sort of the Forrest Gump of football given he's, he's been there or thereabouts at every crucial moment of the last 20 years it's it's quite something uh, and he talks about loads of stuff uh, that you might not imagine uh, things in particular to look out for a, a certain party held by David Beckham for example oh, that was just phenomenal I, I, genuinely when that started like when that conversation started I thought let's just do the full podcast on this I'd love to see a full guest list, who he spoke to, what what he saw different people doing. It was just, I genuinely could have spoken about that all day. I, yeah, I want that. a table plan framed in my yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, also, what happens when you're at a World Cup, uh, a player's just gone through to the next round, uh, you've been knocked out and you both end up in the same room getting a drugs test together. That's a little bit awkward as well. Yeah, I love that. Also, lots and lots of forearm smashes, <laughs> despite yeah. Danny being yeah. quite keen to point out. He, it was just part of the game. It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great. Loved it. Uh, I think he mentioned forearm smashes more than you regularly mention Ricardo Fuller, to be fair, and that's saying something. That takes take some doing, yeah. So there's lots of stuff in there, and we really hope you enjoy it. It's another one of our player specials. Here's what happened uh, when Mark, Mark and myself caught up with Danny Mills on the Broken Metatarsal. Well, Danny, first and foremost, thank you so much for joining us on the Broken Metatarsal. It is uh, great to have someone who was such a... A key figure, really, in that decade that we love so much here on the podcast. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, broken metatarsal, you know, my England career 
wouldn't be anywhere without a broken metatarsal and, and Gary Neville breaking his. So, no, I, I love broken metatarsals, if I'm honest. <laughs> it is a slightly strange one, isn't it? That we Any guess we have with you, Sage, you know, any experience with a broken metatarsal. And for you, it's, it's kind of a positive one at someone else's expense, I guess. It made my career, um, let's be honest. Um, I, I remember I was in, I think I was in a bar uh, in, in, in town when the, the news came through that Gary Neville had, had got injured um, and had broken his sort of broken his foot when I broke his metatarsal. Did we, did Five we more shots, met- please, barman. Yeah, did we know what <laughs> metatarsals were back then? I'm not sure we did, did we? Um, but I think you know Beckham was already out or had already had that sort of injury. And then, of course, you know Gary Neville was injured. I think I did about four somersaults at the time, um, and that was, that was before I had those five extra shots. Uh, and I genuinely, I genuinely thought that that would give me an opportunity just to make the squad. I think the only game I'd started was Ellen Road for England, and that was, you know, sort of charity gesture because all the Leeds players played, um, as you did, you know, when obviously we weren't playing at Wembley, you know, you were on the road, whenever it was at your home ground, all those players started the game. And I'd never played more than 45 minutes uh, at that stage either. So I, I, I just, I genuinely thought there's an outside chance that I could possibly make the squad. Now, never even in my wildest dreams thought about going, obviously, to the World Cup and starting. And it was five games you played every minute. Yeah, well, you don't often take off full-backs, do you, unless you have an absolute shocker. So I, I, I guess I did OK. <laughs> we did all right, obviously, up until the Brazil game. first game was pretty standard. You know, 1-1 against Sweden was, was fairly normal. Beat Argentina, which obviously was absolutely incredible. Draw, draw against Nigeria, which got us through. Demolished Denmark, uh, and then into a quarter final. Um, and you know, sadly, it wasn't to go any further. What was that like being chucked in? Because you say you weren't really expecting to, you know, necessarily even to go, let alone start. To go from playing only forty-five minutes, uh, you know, in a game to being there in Korea and Japan, first-team member. With all those players, what what was the experience like? Well, I'd, I'd had a good season, disciplinary wise, not so good. I think fourteen <laughs> yellow cards, two reds, and an FA ban for abusing Jeff Winter. Well, you know, who wouldn't? <laughs> it's it's um, a good season, then. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, fairly, fairly standard. Um, I actually missed the last two games of the season through suspension. Didn't play in those. Had a little bit of a, a rest, but I knew that. Uh, Todd Grip had been watching an awful lot of our games. Obviously, we, we had quite a lot of England players in, in that squad, uh, lead squad at the time. And I knew Todd Grip was a, was a big fan uh, and he'd watched lots of games. Obviously, I'd been in the under-21 setup, and, and I'd, I'd always turned up to every squad. I'd, I'd been in squads, I'd not got on. You know, I'd been, in, I'd been in, in and around it. I'd been part of it. But when, obviously, the, the squad was officially announced, I think we came back in after training one day and this is the World Cup squad and obviously there was the four of us from Leeds and it was like, wow, now what? And then you turn up to Sopwell House, it was at the time, we, we, we turned up there and your kit's in your room, you know, your bag, your suit, all these types of things that you've gone through. And it's number two. And you're thinking, whoa, hang on a minute, this is, this is looking a little bit promising, uh, more promising than not. And then, of course, we had the big party, the, the first big party of, of celebrations, obviously, when, you know, Beckham invited everybody to his house. Um, and there was this whole Japanese theme for the England players, allegedly. England players had three tables at the back of the room, a room of about 700, 800 people, I think it was. Uh, we, we were tucked in the corner next to the toilets, uh, next to the port loos uh, And it was just a who's who from the world of celebrity, from the world of film, from the world of music. I think Mick Hucknall sang, you know, at that time. It was just, it was just phenomenal. The table next to us were steps, bizarrely. Um, that was a bit of a weird one. Um, in, 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 in front of that Sandwich was... between steps and the bogs. 
there you go. Well, yeah, and, and then I think to, to the left was Ray Winston and, and his sort of table and, and his family, whatever. In front of that was Natalie and Brulia and Baby Spice. That was a decent looking <laughs> table, not going to lie. Um, and, and it was just, you know, Elton John was there. You know, Joan Collins was there, for goodness sake. I mean, what <laughs> This was just, it was bonkers, absolutely bonkers what was going on. And, and the dress code was white tie and diamonds. I didn't even know what white tie, white tie was back in 2002, let alone white tie and What diamonds. is white tie? Come on, tell me. I don't know what it is. Well, it was, it was supposed to be white tuxedo, I believe. Yes, oh, right, no, okay. I, wasn't, I was right. not turning up in one of those. Um, that is for sure. Um, that's, uh, and the diamonds, what did you wear, definitely then? not. I think it was a plain black suit because the kids were invited as well. Um, and, and I wasn't going to go originally. And I thought, this is not really my scene. This is not what I'm going to do. And of course, the, the wife sort of twisted my arm. We are going. This is, <laughs> this is Bosch and Bex. We are going. I said, yeah, we got you know the kids and stuff. Well, the kids are invited. I spent most of the four hours, I think, in the kids' marquee. And, and, when, and when I say marquee, this is bigger than the pavilion at Ellen Road. And it was like bouncy <laughs> castles inside it and all that type of stuff. I think my kids were like one and three at the time so I spent an awful lot of time in, in there uh, but yeah it was just a, a bizarre surreal experience of just everywhere you looked there was A-listers and then steps What was the strangest conversation you had that night? Ray Winston was good uh, he, he was a really nice guy obviously lo- loves his football uh, and was into that uh, I think at the time I think at one point went to the went to the Portaloos quite posh Portaloos I have to say um, and, and, and Bex was in there and you know so my, my little lad sort of, who's three at the time he's got a little bit of idea of football at this stage he sort of just looks up and he sort of he stood there having a wee next to David Beckham and I'm thinking don't, please don't spray it over him please don't spray it <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. how long before the tournament was this party? Uh, days before uh, we, we, oh, we met up at, yeah so we, we met up this was basically the day before we met up uh, so it's, we went down to Sockwell House where we used to all meet for England you know in St Albans a, a day but you know a day early and that was it the whole point was it was a huge celebration for, yeah, yeah. for the England team you know going to Japan and everything else but of course really it was all about you know I think it was a lot of it was publicity for, for Posh and Bex um, and, and taking them into Asia were management there as well was, was, uh, was Sven there don't think he was um, if he was he was probably on one of the decent tables near the front <laughs> um, I was so going to say it, it, I, Put it this way, it might have been, but I couldn't see him from where I was sat. Had Bex, like, designated the tables, like, that's that's the first team table, that's the reserve team table. Had he, had he done that, or was it an nice <laughs> No, I think it was, uh, there was, I think it was a Man United table. There was, there was a few people that didn't go, but m- I think mo- most of the lads went, I think, just to see what it was, what, see what it was like. But everyone goes on about these, these cliques that you had back then. They were and they weren't, effectively, because it's like anything, and I always say to people, if You've got a group of work colleagues that you see every day, that you've travelled with throughout the last two or three years, you know, going abroad, European games, whatever. What happens is, is, you know, you gravitate to the people that you know. And it wasn't as diverse as it was now. And so people have gone about these cliques and, you know, what was it like, Man United versus Liverpool versus Leeds versus Chelsea? So, well, Nipe was my roommate at Leeds. It was, you know, we used to room next to each other at England. We'd go down, we'd sit next to each other at the dinner table. It's because we knew each other. And we were friends, yeah. you know. So the the, the, the clique thing, I, I think, is is a little bit of a myth. It's just what you do. Clicks or no clicks, we, we are all united in the fact that we all love steps. You know, at the end of the day. <laughs> well, you know, just just sad that they're gone. You know, they, they need they need to have a comeback. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Danny, I've, I've read a few things about these cliques in, in the England squads, and some of the stories I read were about how United players, for example, wouldn't even bother talking to Liverpool players, and it would affect how they trained on a day-to-day basis. Is that something you didn't really witness? I, I, I didn't see that, uh, if I'm honest. Yeah. You know, like, like I said, when you, when you go down for dinner, you sit next to your pals, and that happens to be the players that you've been with. And if you think of the United yeah. team at that time, this was the class of 92, effectively, you know, and a spatterings around it. So they knew each other unbelievably well. You know, the guys at Leeds, we knew each other incredibly well. The, the guys at Liverpool, players weren't moving around as much as, as they were in, in this day and age. <laughs> Train it, no. We'd have rivalries sometimes, you know, you, you might have, you know, Leeds, uh, Liverpool and whoever it was against the rest or, you know, depending on how many people there were, you know, North v South, all these types of things. It didn't affect training, in my opinion, in, in any way, shape or form. Everybody was there to do a job. Everybody was there selfishly to do the best that they could for themselves first uh, and, and then obviously what they could for the team. And, and, and I never noticed any particular issues, apart from obviously when we went when we had the, the Rio Ferdinand issue um, over the, the missed drugs test um, and the strike. And obviously, I think Sir Alex had had a word in the United players' ears and said, look, you know, if Rio gets banned, then you all have, you know, you're going to go on strike and you're all going to pull out of the England squad. Um, and that's not going to happen. Of course, then there was the threat of going on strike for England, which I was never going to be a part of. Didn't like that. Didn't go down well, especially with G Nev and the Man United contingent. Um, but, but I wasn't prepared to go on strike at the time for something that I didn't know all the facts about. Um, and I don't think it didn't, sh- didn't put me in good light, I should say, with, with the, the senior players at Manchester United, for sure. You know, we could do, we could do a whole pod on, on England and especially Japan and Korea. But when you look back at that tournament, and like your England career was timed brilliantly, wasn't it? You know, when you, when you think about it. But when you look at that tournament, you as a player on the inside, I guess there's two moments that probably stand out most. One is the David Beckham penalty against Argentina uh, in that game. And the other one is probably... Of course, the quarterfinal, and we'll get onto this in a moment. The, the Ronaldinho sending off, as well as the goal, but just that first and foremost, tackle. that, that <laughs> we'll come on to that. Wasn't that did bad, Didn't a bit of rolling around there, Danny. <laughs> yeah. But first and foremost, that David Beckham penalty against Argentina, that idea of redemption for <clears throat> for Bex in that game. What was that like? That moment, his celebration. You can feel the release, and the players go to him in the corner. What was it like to be on the pitch watching that penalty taken at such a crucial moment in a World Cup? Well, we knew it was a massive game because obviously it's the group of death that we were we were drawn in. Um, it was really unusual because it was in Sapporo. It was in, in a, it was in the dome. It was in a baseball stadium, so a really sort of strange atmosphere. We went in, and, and as lads do, first thing we did was who can hit the roof? You know, no warm up, anything like that. Get the balls out, smashing <laughs> it as hard as you can. Obviously, not good for injury prevention, um, but we're all kids at heart. And and of course, for, you, you had several players that had been there four years earlier. And I'd have been through that whole scenario with, with Bex and everything else. It's Argentina. You know, we, we're English. We hate Argentina. That's not a problem. Um, we had to win that game. They were the favourites for the tournament. You know, Batistuta and, and people like that in, in their ranks. Kelly Gonzalez, who I'd had one or two spats with playing against Valencia. Um, one or two elbows. I'd, 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 crossed, um, I'd crossed paths uh, at times. So it was, it was a huge game, a, a lot of niggle on it. Sven had given me, Sven didn't speak to me that much. Probably had three proper conversations with him in the fourth four years I was involved with England. One was a, a full dossier on Claudio Lopez, 
because um, obviously he'd worked with him at, at Lazio. Went through a whole dossier of what Claudio Lopez does, how good he is, what foot he uses, this, that and the other. And of course he was on the bench. So that was pretty much irrelevant. Um, <laughs> but we, we were playing well, you know, and, and of course during the, got to the penalty and I, I literally remember I stood on the halfway line or there or thereabouts and I've just crossed my fingers and put them under my armpits and just think, please go in, please go in, please go in. Yes, it's gone in. And it was a huge moment of, of relief because we had to win that game. You know, if we didn't win that, we were going to, there was no point playing the last game, you know, because we, we wouldn't have a chance of, of getting through. But there's a moment that was captured, I think, by just one photographer. Simeone walked up to Bex just before the penalty and went to shake his hand. And I think Nicky Butt steps in and just says, no, mate, not having it. You know, and just, you know, just ushers Simone out the way, clearly trying to intimidate Bex and, and all the rest of it. Celebrations afterwards were, were wild. I mean, even the likes of Sol Campbell, incredibly quiet normally, quite reserved. They refused to swap shirts after the game. You know, they were spitting it as if we're going off the pitch. The celebrations in the, in the dressing room were absolutely just immense. And, and players that are generally normally quite quiet, the songs were going. It was unbelievably vocal. Not only did we beat Argentina, but we'd given ourselves a real chance of going through to, to the next stages as well. I feel like we're going to go on and win this World Cup now, Danny, after you've said that. <laughs> yeah, we felt that as well. <laughs> you hear a lot of ex-England players talking about it. it was us against the world, it was us against the media. Bex had obviously had a bit of stick. People said he wasn't fully recovered. They said he was blowing after half an hour of the first game. Was there a bit of that as well, that, that he's won the game for you? You know, we're in this together. We're going to prove everyone wrong. Not really. I mean, we, we'd, we'd had a mini pre-season in Dubai. We knew that Bex maybe wasn't 100% fit, but, you know, the, the quality that he had, the media attention, jumped. Well, we jumped on the bandwagon. Because of Bex, we took every freebie going under the sun. You know, Sony were our sponsors. We got cameras, we got laptops. 2000, it was the first digital cameras we'd ever seen. And we were like, yeah, come on, we'll have one of them. You know, this is one of mem- a memory card of like 250 megabytes, not gigabytes, 250 megabytes, cost about 300 quid. We were taking them, we were taking golf clubs, we had accounts with Amazon. We had, yeah, it's like, come on, bring it on, we'll have it. But we knew Bex wasn't 100% fit, but he still offered, you know, plenty on the pitch, possibly soon my game as well because I, I was quite happy to sort of you know be the legs and, and do a lot of the running within that but if I'm honest we had no real idea of what was going on back home this was the, a strange tournament for everybody a lot of players that had been to tournaments before it was unique for them as well a lot of fans couldn't travel because it was very very expensive to do so all the so-called hooligans had, had not been able to travel because obviously the controls getting into Japan were, were so, so rigorous and so, so tight. The Japanese were the most hospitable country on the planet, bar none. You know, they couldn't do enough for you. Because of Bex, we had screaming fans everywhere that we went, you know, lying in the streets, all shouting Beckham. Anybody in England kit they thought was Beckham. Don't know why he said the Mohawk at the time, didn't he? <laughs> um, it's quite, quite easy to pick out. You could have stuck one on, didn't he? <laughs> well, I, t- I thought about it. <laughs> But because of the time difference, nobody had played a tournament in that sort of time difference before. You know, so that was a real problem. Mobile phones were around, but not to not to FaceTime level or anything like that. Facebook didn't exist. You know, it was Friends Reunited. We, so we were given laptops. The internet was in its infancy at the time. You know, you couldn't just Google everything because it wasn't out there. So we weren't really aware what was going on back home because the games were at, what, 8, 9 o'clock in the morning sometimes, 10 o'clock. People were jumping in the rivers and all sorts and, you know, getting absolutely leathered. People were watching it Great all over. Days. Well, it was, but it wasn't until we... I think we were on our way to the Denmark game. We had BBC and ITV pumped into our hotel, but of course it, you couldn't record it, so you had to watch it live. So when we were watching ITV, it was like three o'clock in the morning back home. It's not great TV at that time of night. <laughs> um, so we weren't really worth seeing what was on the news. 
And then we went to the Denmark game and the video guys had, had put together a montage of what had been happening. So what had happened back home in Manchester, London, Leeds, Liverpool during the Sweden game? What had happened during the Argentina game? What had happened during Nigeria? And suddenly we were like, wow, the whole country is sort of like behind us at the moment. You know, this is like... This has brought, almost brought the country to a standstill because it's nine o'clock in the morning and the pubs are packed. This was like really strange. And of course, we went into the Denmark game um, and maybe that gave us a big boost of actually seeing what it was like back home and how people were loving it. We went into the Denmark game and, and obviously smashed them off the planet. After that Denmark game, of course, it's, it goes to the quarterfinals and, and that Brazil game and that, that free kick that we know about. But, but there is one thing we do need to mention, which is the, the Ronaldinho sending off after he... Uh, tickled your leg, I would say. And obviously, you doing the right thing, you know, went down in a heap. What, what actually happened there? Because it results in the red card and uh, it, it's great when you watch it back. It's one of those. He, he comes in and he catches me on, on the shin, on, on the ankle. Um, it wasn't particularly bad in any way, shape or form. You know, but it's one of those, when you get caught with studs, you know, I'm, I'm sort of swinging through, you follow through it and it smarts for a little bit, but nothing bad. So you think, yeah, I'll go down, I'll get the free kick. No, no issue with that. And let's just say, I didn't roll around, Rick, you know, as you tried to make out. You know, this was not modern, <laughs> this was not modern day acting. This was not Western, rolling around. I'm about to get up and then all of a sudden, Golsey comes over and just says, stay down, he's getting a card out, stay down. And you think, okay, he's going to get a yellow card for this, whatever. And out of the blue, obviously, he pulls out a red card and sends him off, which I don't think it was a red card offence, but we'll take it. Because uh, at that stage, you know, we, of course, we need to get back in the game uh, and we'll take everything we get. But the worst part of it was, after we'd lost, me and Rio got pulled out to do the drugs test. So after a very sort of quick farewell around the pitch, me and Rio were carted off into the little room, people basically watching you until you've been for a wee. And bearing in mind it was like 90 degrees and lost about five kilos in weight. Took me about four hours to have a wee properly. And it was like, (laughs) it was toxic waste colour when it came out, even after drinking 20 bottles of water. The first people we walk into and into the drugs testing room, Ronaldinho and (laughs) Cafu. It's like, you know, well, I, I just, I wanted to lump him. You know what I mean? Because they're, they're laughing and joking. And, and Cafu, in, in all honesty, was very, very respectful in that. Ronaldinho, not so much. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was, obviously me and Rio were sort of slumped in the corner and, and Ronaldinho's, you know, laughing and joking and jumping around. You're just thinking, you know, calm yourself down, mate. I am, I'm seriously going to have to belt you on in a minute. That tackle, which obviously you, um, you know, naturally stay down for because... Why wouldn't you at that point? If you were Danny Mills, the pundit in 2020, commentating on Danny Mills, the player in 2002, what would that punditry sound like during that tackle? I, d- I don't think it would be that bad because I, 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 I didn't roll around. I didn't, I didn't squeal. I, I just went down. You had to do it from time to time. You know, it's like, it's, and I've always said, win at all costs. You know, and if, if I'd have had to roll around to get him sent off, I would have done as well um, <laughs> at that stage. If I'd have had to die for a penalty, I would have dived. Uh, I'm not going to lie. There's acceptable levels of cheating, in, in my opinion, when you benefit from it. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's it's the scream that I can't stand in this day and age. You know, when that's not pain. You know, when you, you get a little clip, it's like I'd, I'd be embarrassed to squeal. I think even when I do it now, you know, and even at home, you know, you stub your toe or something like that. It's like I, I feel like I'm like that. I'm like that cartoon guy that you know that, that keeps it in, and it's like grit your up. teeth. Yeah, and it's like. <laughs> Don't let it out! Don't let it out! Don't let it out! It's like it's not coming out. It's you know, it's it's in my it's seen as a weakness to, to sort of show you hurt, I guess, yeah, and, yeah, and that's yeah. what I was brought up on. Did uh, did Ronaldinho talk to you in in the drugs testing room? No, I, I think he tried to speak. He, he didn't speak very good English. 
um, at all. I think he tried to speak to Rio at some point. I mean, I think Rio just shook his head and just you know, sort of put his hand. <laughs> not having it alone. Yeah, not it's one of those. It was. Yeah, we don't. You know, because he scored the flukiest goal on the planet as well. Let's be honest. You know, trying to give it all this mm. drop-in leaf nonsense, and yeah, I'd practice that. What a load <laughs> of tosh! Um, absolute nonsense. He'd never done it before. He'd never done it since. He, it was a cross, and he got lucky. You know, simple as that. Daniel, away from the World Cup, um, just thinking about some of the other things. So you've been involved in so many big things. There aren't that many players who can say they've, you know, made it to a Champions League semi-final. And when I look at that run, obviously being a Leeds fan as well. There are so many things you could pick out with it, playing against Barcelona, uh, European nights against Real Madrid. But we did speak to Don Matteo on the podcast and the thing, his abiding memory seemed to stand out above everything. And for him, he says, Mark Viduca still talks about this, was a lasagna you all had when you went and played AC Milan in Italy. I don't remember that. Uh, <laughs> not as good as he's made out, was it? No, it, that, well, you know, I was, I was on MasterChef, you know, so, you know, I've got certain standards. Um, <laughs> So, so Danny, you're saying you, your abiding memory of the Champions League semi-final run for Leeds United isn't a lasagna, that's what you're saying? No, it's not. It, it, it's, it's the, do you know what, my, my, my most, the memory of that is, obviously, we got smashed against Barcelona. Yeah, we got a footballing lesson. And then we came back and obviously AC Milan at home. And it was a strange one at the time because I, I played more. I was playing more in the Champions League than I was in the league game at the time because of injuries and, and this, that, and the other that was going on. And of course, before the AC Milan game, you know, you're looking at Shevchenko, Bierhoff, you know, Maldini, you know, but possibly the best strike force in Europe on the planet at that time as a partnership. You know, Shevchenko and Bierhoff. We come out and we know the team, and the team gets announced to the crowd, whatever, and you can sort of almost hear the, the shock, horror and the panic where it's like centre-halves, Mills and Dubry. And there's this sharp intake <laughs> from the Leeds crowd going, oh God, we got beat four last time. This could be, this could be 24. Um, and it was, and it was, because, you know, we, we were, it wasn't, well, I, I played there as a kid, but I was, you know, right back was sort of more my position at, at that stage of, of the career. Dubs was sort of on the, on the fringes as well. And I think people were just in sheer horror that we could get an absolute doing in that game. But yeah, no, I mean, we, we had a we had a great game, me and Dooms in that one. Kept a clean sheet, both played pretty well. Uh, and then Bo, you know, hit an absolute screamer uh, that was just too hot for, for Dida to handle uh, in, in the final minute and, and he chucked it in. That was one of my memories, I think. AC Milan away, there was obviously the massive sing-song Gary Kelly led afterwards on the pitch. I missed that because I was injured. I was suffering with a sort of a, a really bad ankle at the time didn't play against I think we played Man United just before that um, I didn't play in the Liverpool game either for 4-3 Vaduc's, where Vaduc scored four so I that big sing-song afterwards what Kells was orchestrating on the pitch um, with the fans I, I was in the dressing room with me when we foot in a, in a bucket of ice sadly as a non-Leeds fan one of the reasons why I liked watching Leeds back then was you had these great rivalries with a lot of teams. And I think that's why a lot of people are, are glad to see Leeds back there. Now, um, one that we could dedicate a full podcast to is Leeds against Arsenal. Amazing rivalry. And you got the best red card in history for playing a 1-2 off Ashley Cole's back. Uh, <laughs> Phenomenal. Ash, Ash, Ash cheating, wasn't he? I mean, that, that, was, <laughs> that, was, that was going down. You know, you talk about me rolling around on the floor, Ronaldinho. Ash was, that was disgraceful. <laughs> I mean, he went down holding his face. I touched him on the chest, even maybe even the stomach. There was no way it was a foul. Jeff, Jeff Winter hated me, didn't even give a foul for it. And the intention was at the time, because I think we, we were 2-1 up um, into the latter stages of the game. I think, had Bo been sent off at that stage already? Yep. Yeah, so we, we were a man down. I think Smithy had gone off or been taken off before he got sent off um, as well. It was quite a, quite a nasty game. And I just, I think it, was, it must be right towards the end of the game. 
And my intention was to just roll it against his, his back or his bum and it go out of play and we get the throw in. Because Ash is quite skinny and quite bony, it came off at a bad angle and came straight back towards me. Patrick Vieira then came steaming over the top, bundled in it, and it all sort of kicked off a little bit. And then, of course, you know, Jeff Winter decided to be Jeff Winter um, and wanted to be the centre of attention and, and gave me a, I think gave me, he gave me a second yellow, didn't he, for that? And then a red. I think he played about eight minutes injury time, which was just unheard of in that day and age. You know, you got two minutes max. It's almost like he was desperate for them to win. The old at Highbury, the old Highbury, the only Highbury, as you came off, there was a, like a media uh, room on the right-hand side of the tunnel. So I'd been sent off. So I was in there. Bo was in there. Smithy was in there. So, of course, we, we win the game. And I think, you know, and, and as Jeff Winter comes walking up the tunnel, he, he got a volley, I would say, of um, abuse um, from all of us, uh, which led to my six-game suspension, I think, for abusing Jeff Winter, uh, which I think, was completely, I think was completely justified. You know, the, the, the hardest thing is, in the heat of the moment, you know, and this is a massive game for us at the time, you know, we beat, we've beaten Arsenal. The referee's been against us, sent two players off, eight minutes of injury time, and we've still managed to win the game. Emotions are running incredibly high. You know, adrenaline is flowing. And you, you, know, and you, and you say things, you know, in the heat of the moment. And then, of course, I had to go to Sheffield United, uh, where the, the three old bods were there at the time, you know, for the disciplinary hearing. You know, and it's like walking into a room at Cocoon. You know, it's like there's nobody under the age of 80. And they bring out this statement and they start reading it in the cold light of day. Uh, so, Mr. Mills, you called Mr. Winter, and then they read it off, and and it's like at that point in time, you've got no defence. It's like sitting in front of the headmaster, isn't it? Going, well, you said this. Well, yeah, I did, but there are sort of mitigating circumstances, but they don't yeah, yeah. like to take them into consideration. Um, so, anything, yeah, anything said out loud in court or whatever doesn't ever <laughs> sounds like a joke. Well, it, exactly, it, you know, it, exactly. It's context, isn't it? And it's the cold light of day. You know, it's like you called Mr. Winter this and this and this, and you accuse him of this, and you called him this. It's like, yeah, I get your point now. You can probably stop, but we don't need to hear the rest <laughs> of it. Let's move on, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> By the way, um, I can't believe we skirted over this. I, didn't, I, I don't know the lasagna story. What's the lasagna thing in Milan? It's just, just little and a very nice lasagna, apparently. Is that, was that the story? Yeah, yeah, yeah but Dom. we said to Don Matteo, you know, oh, the, the night in Milan, and, and, you know, Danny mentioned it there. There's a big sing-song afterwards. Matteo scored a header. They've won 1-0 at San Siro. It's incredible. You know, what are your memories from that? And his memories that in the hotel beforehand, they just got served this delicious lasagna, and, and him and I think we stayed. talk about it to this day. I think we stayed on the edge of Lake Como as well. Um, yeah, I he mean, said that's exactly what he said, yeah. Yeah, yeah David O'Leary loved a nice hotel, by the way. Um, <laughs> don't worry he about that. said that as well. Yeah, there's plenty, pl- plenty, of, plenty of expenses went on those hotels. There was, no, there, was, there was no three-star holiday in, I'll tell you that. I can't remember what hotel, but it was magnificent, right on the edge of Lake Como. You know, absolutely stunning. And we always used to stay over the night after. Um, that's how we did things back then. We'd, we'd stay over, we'd have a warm down the next day, you know, which was probably the right thing to do, actually, and, and then fly back the following day. Uh, so ideally we weren't too tired, but as you can imagine, there was always um, there was always a couple of sneaky drinks um, after after big results like that. Back on the Arsenal, I've always wanted to know whether the the, the myth, the legend is true that Viduka picked Martin Kieran up off the ground in the tunnel at half time of one game. Did it happen? Did you see it? Uh, I, I didn't see it, but possibly. I mean, the, the, Arsenal, the Arsenal tunnel was, again, quite cramped. A bit like Old Trafford, you've, you've got that huge, you know, Old Trafford, you've got that massive tunnel. 
But then as you turn the corner to go actually go into the dressing room section, it gets really, really narrow. I mean, there was all sorts went on in the tunnels. It was, it's what it was. It was the sanctuary. Forget all about these tunnel clubs nowadays with cameras and glass walls and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I mean, we'd have all been in court on a Monday morning for, for some of the stuff that went on. You've, you know, you've seen, we've all seen the, you know, the, the Keen Vieira thing, haven't you? You know, going down the, the tunnel and, and that little spat. It was commonplace. You know, it was an opportunity to get into, get stuck into the opposition you know, really early on and, and try and wind them up, get in their heads psychologically, whatever it was. But yeah, there was there was all sorts of shenanigans went on in tunnels. Don't worry about that. <laughs> With Leeds and Arsenal, you know, that's a rivalry in itself. And there's, you know, we beat them at Highbury and that sort of stops them winning the league uh, the year before they go on as the Invincibles. And it does seem to me that Arsenal for you and their players, it was just a team that got under your skin. There's obviously... Uh, that's sending off with Ashley Cole. There is a moment, you know, we can't not mention it. Thierry Henry <laughs> kind of does you at the corner flag. You can't not mention that. It's true. Always out of play. Always out of play. You know, cause he, he puts his leg through mine and, and drags the ball through. So I'm, I'm sort of shielding it to let it run out of play. The linesman's you know, half a yard away. You know, often linesmen don't see things that right under their nose. Shock. Um, but people say, well, I said, well, look, let's be honest. If he'd have done that to me realistically, do you think I'd have let him get away with it? If I didn't think the ball, because if you look at my reaction afterwards, I look straight to the linesman and just go, look, you know, the ball was out, hands to the side and, and all the rest of it. If I'd have genuinely thought the ball hadn't gone out, I'd have turned around and I'd have taken another red card. I, I guarantee <laughs> that. So that, you know, that's, it happens. Um, that's a bit of fun. Um, but yeah, had lots of run-ins with Robert Perez. Um, there's, the, there's the penalty as well, because when you're playing for well, Man that's City, the one, yeah. they do the penalty <laughs> that was, you know, he Perez tries to touch it and Henri tries, and it just all, it's a total fuck up, isn't it? And, what and what I love there. about that, the ball is still in play, it's still being cleared, and you've already turned round, Danny, to have a go at Perez. <laughs> that's how much he's wound you up. Well, the thing is, it, it, they're 1-0 up at the time as well. This is not like they're 4-0 up. And, and, you know, you can have a little bit of a laugh and a joke about stuff. And if it works, you hold your hands up and go, you know what, they've outdone us there and we look a bunch of mugs. When it doesn't work, I think it's unbelievably sort of arrogant. Uh, and clearly they hadn't even planned it because Thierry Henry didn't really know what was supposed to be happening. So it was just a, a thing in the moment. But yeah, I had a lot of run-ins with Perez, obviously him playing on that side. I always say he was the first person, in my opinion, that really brought dive into another level because he had that ability to trip himself up uh, and make it look like you, you touched him. And I always say, if I'd have nicked him and he goes down, that's sort of my fault. But when he was going down with no contact whatsoever and winning free kicks, it used to infuriate the life out of me. Um, and because of that, you know, on that far side at Highbury especially, where the crowd sat a little bit lower than everybody else, there was that little white wall. There was a little track yeah, and then yeah. there was that little white wall about eight, nine inches high. He got a few little shoves into that a few times and, and went over there into the crowd once or twice. Danny, on that penalty, you sort of um, the, you sort of send a barrage of abuse, and I understand why. Like you say, it is an one nil, quite an arrogant penalty to take, and, and they bollocks it up. I, I was trying to lip read what you were saying. It all came out quite fast, but there was one word because you kind of stopped yeah, it was, and then you it, was it was it was it was it was you know say quite. <laughs> a big twat that, is, that you shout over towards him. I actually think that's the game. That might still was that two was that October two thousand and five. If it was, I, I broke my leg in that game as well. Burkamp did me. Um, it might have been the, the season after. Burkamp left his foot in and, and, and snapped me in two. But I'm not sure. It might have been the game. It might not have been. Um, but yeah, it was. It was just. I hadn't lost my head, but I was. I was not happy with Mr. Perez. And yeah, I, I, I thought I was speaking fluent French. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Danny, one of the things that we often talk about on uh, on this podcast, and really we think this was the era where it, it peaked in such a great way, is is shithousery. And those kind of players that as soon as you see in the opposition in the lineup, and maybe, you know, a Perez is one of those for you, who would you look up in the opposition lineup and think, <clears throat> Oh, it's just gonna it's just gonna be shit housing all day long. And and I did get the feeling that you enjoyed a little bit of that yourself as well. Uh Lauren Robert. Most wingers, to be honest. I, I remember I remember I did Lauren Robert, a little forearm smash. Uh and then signed for Derby with him. Uh I went to Derby and then he, he was at Derby <laughs> at the time. And, it, and that's the first thing that he mentioned um, that he'd done. Uh Savage did it when I when I grabbed Savage around the throat when I was at Middlesbrough. He tried to do me sort of two footed and I turned around and picked him up off the floor by his neck and I think he absolutely pooed his pants. Uh, so three out of three of Derby players so far. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, well, the funny thing is, Sav, I'd not spoken to Sav for about four years. We'd not played against each other for four years after that incident. And then I signed for Derby and he signed about a week later. And everybody yeah. was like sort of panicking a little bit, just thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen? You know, there's, there's <laughs> clearly a massive issue between these two. And I thought, right, I, I need to somehow break the ice with this. So I got a massive picture of, of me with my hand around his throat, picking him off the floor, put it on his, put it on his locker and just put, don't worry, Robbie, I still love you. And just signed it, put a big kiss on it. And to be fair, he, he left it there the whole time that I was, you know, he just, and I think because everyone was worried that it might just kick off first training session. So I, I dealt with it in that way. But I think most wingers, you know, you'd always try and intimidate, especially when I went to Man City. I was on one side, Ben Thatcher was on the other. Uh, and we'd always go and stand next to the opposite winger. So I'd go and stand next to the, the right winger uh, and, and just say, have you upset Thatch or something? Have you said something about Thatch in the, pa- in the paper? You've not like, you, you know, you've not like tried to chat his missus up or something, have you? Because he's like, he's absolutely fuming with you. And I said, first opportunity, he's going to, he doesn't care about a red card. He's going to break your legs. And of course, you know, and instantly you, you put, you, and he would do the same the other way around. And you start putting things in people's heads. And I remember we did it with, Lee Croft was at Man City um, and went to Norwich and we played Norwich and I sort of did it with Crofty and, and Crofty wasn't the bravest of players anyhow. And I think first touch, he was like, the ball got rolled into him. He's just looking round, his head's he's like, he's, he's panicking. He's thinking <laughs> Thatch is going to come straight through behind me and obviously just take me out. We sort of used our reputation as, as sticking in the odd bad challenge to our advantage and, and we'd use, it's just mind games. You know, there was no, it was never, never really going to follow it through or, or go through with it. But you would, if you could put something, a little bit of doubt in somebody's mind to try and upset their rhythm or put them off their game, it, it was always the case. And, you know, Bats was great at it as well. You know, it's that forearm smash where player would play the ball and then run and you'd run into them, but you'd put your arm again, sort of across your own chest, across your throat to make it look like you were protecting yourself. But of course, you just give it a little bit of a nudge as you went into them. And as most wingers were smaller than me, it used to sort of catch them in the chops. Any uh, kids listening to this uh, about to play some sort of Sunday league morning <laughs> football, please yeah. please don't do that to your opposition. Uh, not not at that level anyway. This, 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 this was back in the 90s, 2000s, remember. This is, yeah, exactly. Do you know what though? I, I think, Rich, I think like, people will give, at the time, Daddy used <clears> to get a stick for, oh, he's, he's reacted again, certainly early in his career. I'm going to say, well done. You're upholding the, the spirit of the game. You know, you don't want these players diving in your face, giving it all that. Oh, so, I know. Absolutely. And, and to be fair, I, I think I got seven red cards. Seven, eight red cards, seven or eight, whatever it was. Probably only two of them were really sort of, were stupid. Um, I mean, the Ashley Cole one was probably never a, a yellow card, um, realistically. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't Craig, violent. It wasn't, 
Well, yeah, so Craig Bellamy against Leeds, Craig that was Bellamy. deserved. <laughs> yeah, without it. And that was that was worth it. Craig Bellamy got mentioned on our Shit Houses podcast as yes. well. I thought you might mention him. From my recollection, and you, you can sort this through better because you were on the pitch and I wasn't, but I remember watching, Craig Bellamy is off the pitch. The ball's gone out either for a goal kick or a corner. He's not even on the pitch at that point. He's on the ground. And you, you just lashed out and walloped him one, didn't you, with your, with your leg? Well, no, I, I followed through. I, I cleared the ball. And then I thought, I've got an opportunity here to just follow through and absolutely leather him. Looking back at it, it was even worse than I thought. Uh, it was in the bottom, bottom corner near the Gallagher. I mean, I, I grew up with Bellas at, at Norwich. Not a particularly nice person. You know, there's a line of banter that you accept in football. And, and, you, and, and it was horrible at the time. We all accept that at the time, you know. But he would always overstep the mark. You know, I think Big Al... Shearer smashed him once. You know, lots of players that I'd seen him so many times had him by the throat in the dressing room. You know, been involved in all those. He was only four foot one, whatever he was. You know what I mean? Ridiculous. And very, very mouthy. Good player. You know, fair dues to him. But I, I had the opportunity. I, I did him at Ellen Road. Uh, he, had a, he went to have a shot and he had a volley. And I just left my leg out, sort of straight leg. And he followed through and hit my leg. So I think officially he fouled me. That's the way I look at it, because he kicked me. Uh, but he was down on the ground and, and he was quite badly hurt. And Gary Speed started, God rest his soul, Gary Speed was, was sort of started jogging towards him to see if he was all right. I think he was sort of on the 18-yard box and I was going the other way. And as sort of Gary Speed got to me, he sort of, he, he stopped and went, oh, no, he deserves it. And he turned around and started jogging back again. <laughs> <laughs> and this, was, you know, this was his teammate, Welsh teammate, everything else. And, yeah, but uh, yeah, apart from that, I mean, there was what, I mean, red card, I, I took down... Paul Dickoff took Dickie out once upon a time. He was clean through on goal. Uh, so that's not, that wasn't a violent That's one different. As so. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, I mean, out of the red, seven reds that I got, there's probably only two that were stupid. You know, the, the, the rest were Jeff understandable. Reds. Yeah, effectively. So, or two second you, yellows and things like that. Do you think then, Danny, that your reputation is a little bit unfair? Uh, yes, Given that you've no, used I, the term forearm smash a lot more than I thought you would. I, I, I got, yeah, but that was, but that was standard. It, it was just normal. Um, you know, it, it's, I, I, grew, I grew up in an era where first challenge, you had to wipe out the winger or the centre forward, yeah. no matter what. The reducer. And if you, well, if you didn't, you got taken off. Your manager went, you've not done your job, so you're coming off. Okay. So that, that was mandatory, and it was always a freebie. <laughs> And then what you'd hope was that that sort of put the winger centre forward off. The worst case scenario was he'd get up and then he would come and give you one back. Um, and then you thought, okay, now we're in for a game. Mick Hartford did that to me once um, in a game. Christ. Mick, Mick Hartford brought yeah, himself yeah, yeah. on. He was manager, he was coach at Wimbledon, whatever it was. He said to the goal, goal kick, and I was playing centre half, and Mick just went, put it on his head, put it on his head. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, massive launch up the field. Mick runs from about 10 yards away. Bang. It, <laughs> unbelievable elbow. And it feels like the cartoon when my head's rolling across the pitch and my body sort of is, is still in situ. All over the place. But that's what it was. I gave a lot of tackles out, some that I probably should have been sent off for and wasn't. Uh, and equally, I took a few. Uh, but that was, yeah. that was how the game was back then. You know, you, you were taught that if you went down injured... Because you weren't going to get a foul, you were leaving your team with a man down. So your own teammates would, would say, come on, you know, you need to get yourself up. Unless you're seriously hurt, get up uh, and, and get on with it. And, uh, and it's just, it was just a different era. You know, that, that's what it was. And yes, it was a lot more violent. You know, the, the tackles were... And that's why we loved it. Well, it was, <laughs> yeah, but ta tackles, it. Were her tackles were horrific at times. You know, and, and there were some really nasty tackles. I remember when Graham Lasso did me at Ellen Road. Two-footed tackle. 
ended up, I had stud marks down my back. That was how high and how late he was. And he should have been sent off and he wasn't. And I got asked about it after the game. And I said, look, it's just one of those. I said, it's a, you know, it's a late tackle, you know, maybe whatever. I said, it's not for me to decide what it was. And I, and I didn't slaughter him, I didn't hammer him. And I got a phone call on the Monday morning, number that I didn't recognise. Probably only had four contacts in my phone at the time. And and got this voice Sony and said, phone. Well, uh, probably, no, I think it might have been, a, no- might have been, might have been a Nokia slide one. You know, when you used to click the button, it used to slide open. The Matrix phone. <laughs> Halfway through a game of Snake and this unknown number comes up. Well, exactly, yeah. And, it was, and he said, oh, hi, hi, Danny, it's, it's Graham Lasseau. And I was like, sorry. And he went, no, seriously, it's Graham. Before you slaughter me or say anything bad, it's, it is, it's Graham Lasseau. I've, I've managed to get your number. And I just want to say thanks for not slaughtering me over the weekend after that tackle. He said, you know, he said, admittedly, it was a poor challenge. Uh, I said, that's fine, whatever it is. He said, no, but he said, you could have absolutely gone to town, you know, and, and really hammered me for it, and you didn't. And I appreciate that. And I thought, actually, you know what? What a nice guy. Yes, he's two-footed me in the back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but at least he's so sorry. <laughs> well, exactly. But, but because I've not, you know, because, I, because I've not slaughtered him, he's actually gone to the effort of obviously phoning around quite a few people to get my number and actually make the effort to phone up and say, look, I appreciate that you didn't absolutely slaughter me for it in the press, which you, you'd have been in the right to. And I think... That's where a lot of players were at. You know, what happened on the pitch, you've sort of accepted as it was on. Almost a little bit like rugby. What happened on the pitch stayed on the pitch. Is that why you and and Leeds and some other teams had a problem with Arsenal at that area, do you think? Because they were shithouses, you know, in the sense that we're talking about, they could leave one in, you know, Keogh and Birdcamp could put it about Vieira, but also they'd go down, you know, and, and they wouldn't take it. They'd give it what I think, yeah, it. I think yeah. Arsenal had that mix at the time of, of both, you know, and obviously, you know, Winterburn, Tony Adams, Keown, especially, you know, Gilberto Silva. Burkamp had a nasty streak in him, as great as he was. I mean, one of the best players I've ever played against. Burkamp had a nasty streak, so, you know, did me um, quite quite badly and, and, and left his foot in. You know, Vieira, Petit in there, you know, but you had to. You, you had to stand up to the battle first and foremost. But Arsenal had that, they did, they had that mix, you know, that players that actually could go down very, very easily, you know, could, could act when they needed to. We had a very good record against Arsenal, you know, we, especially at Highbury. We always used to do very, very well. And I don't think they liked our high tempo, you know, the, the high press and well, what do we call it, you know, clo- we used to just call it closing down. Uh, forget about gagging press and high press and low blocks and all this, that and the other. Hard work and closing down was all it was back then. You know, Smithy rattling a few cages. Sticking one across, you know, Keown and, and that type of thing. It was a good rivalry because we were up there sort of challenging them, you know, to try and get into sort of top four and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, and yeah, it was just, they were considered as one of the best and some great players. And, and you always wanted sort of to, to pit your wits and, and do, your, do the best you could against the, the best that you're up against. Forget England for a moment, forget Leeds United, semi-finals of Champions League, forget shithousery and all that kind of fun. It, it's, it's the moment we've all wanted to talk about, uh, Mark Smith in particular, uh, Derby <laughs> County. Yeah, finally, we get to talk about that season. Whoa, hang on. No, it's, but I'm going to have to stop you here, Mark. Right. Go on. Last time I played for Derby, we were 1-0 up. I came off the pitch and we lost 3-1. Had, oh, no, had I, have st- had I have stayed fit that season, you know, at the time, you know, I'd, I'd, the first game I played, I think we lost 1-0. Might have been to Wigan. Drew the second one against Sheffield Wednesday in the Cup. Third one, Portsmouth away, winning 1-0. Mills gets taken off, never plays in, the, in his career ever again. So I think, actually, if I'd have stayed fit and stayed on, Derby might have survived that season because we were 1-0 up when I left the points. pitch. 
No, we. Were, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. If I'd have been there, no, we no, might have... I'm not. I'm not. I've not got you wanting to ambush you, Danny. I'm not going to stop <laughs> blaming I'm, you I'm and you like... alone for that season. <laughs> I, I played. I played one game and thirty minutes. Yeah. Don't but think so the eleven were... points was my fault. No, I don't think it was either. Um, but can we talk about this season? Because obviously, yeah. as a Derby fan, it's something that does seem to get brought up quite a lot. Now, obviously, you didn't play very much for us that season, as you, as you say, but you were around the squad a lot. Talk me through how how a squad like that is reacting week on week, and at what point did you down tools? Not you personally, but you as a squad down tools. Did you down I think, tools? I think they down tools when I arrived. Probably because I arrived. They went, <laughs> that oh, that's, not very, that's not very inspiring, is it? Uh, like, <laughs> I'd been at Charlton on loan. Um, I think we were second in the table, and, and the deal had fallen through for me to go to Charlton. Uh, I had, it was just before Christmas. I had a move lined up. I had a house lined up. Everything was sorted. Kids' schools, everything. That fell through. Adam Pearson, who I knew well uh, from my Leeds days and, and Hull days, was the, was the chairman at the time. Um, and obviously, Paul Jewell was the, was the manager. He said, look, we, we just need some bodies in. You know, we, we need to try and stop the rot. Forget this season, it's a write-off. We're going down. But we're looking for to bounce back the season after. And, and they were looking at giving me sort of a, a three-year deal. So they said, look, we'll, yeah. we'll, give you a, we'll do a loan deal for this season. Just get you in the building and we'll start to shape things now for the following season. Uh, I think they brought Lauren Robert in. Uh, Savage was about to arrive. You know, the champ, they were bringing in what they thought were going to be good championship players to, to get them so out this of the is championship. Paul Jewel, this is Paul Jewell at this point, is it? Yeah. Um, so, so I went in. Did the first few training sessions, you know, and it, it was all right. You know, we, we, it was upbeat. There's a few new signs. It was a little bit upbeat. I think we played the first game. I think it was Wigan. I think Sibierski scored late on. Well, don't ask me because I've tried to black all this whole season yeah, out. Yeah, well, and, and then, we, then, we played Sheff- then we played Sheffield Wednesday in the Cup. And I think we drew that one. And that obviously went to a, a replay. So that it was really about looking beyond that to the next season. But of course, I, I picked up a little, well, what I thought was maybe a, a niggle. And they were like, Let's play the, yeah, it was fine, scans, nothing. Play the next game. Obviously, 32 minutes into the game at Portsmouth, uh, just went in, just twisted my knee, fell over, got up. Sav passed me a ball, actually. And I, and I tried to run and my knee just gave way completely. Came off uh, and that was it. Never played a game again. Um, you know, yeah. never, never kicked a ball in, in anger. I was around it at that time, but I, I was injured. I was in and out of Derby. I was in and out of Man City. But I think uh, Morrow was there um, as well. You know, great characters, some good players, mm. honest players there at the time. Kenny Miller there, you know, trying hard, but it, it just wouldn't work. And I, I just think when I got there in January, they'd pretty much given up already. They'd gone, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it was already, it, I don't know how many points we had at the time, but it was already preparing for relegation. Well, it felt like the season we actually went up, we probably shouldn't have been top eight, top ten in the championship. And it was always going to be a struggle. But, you know, if we're going to break a record, you may as well do it spectacularly. And <laughs> we, we did that. Um, well, I don't exactly. know if you can talk about this, but uh, it was the same season where the Paul Jewell sex tape scandal hit. <laughs> Uh, I was not involved in the... that in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> that's not your. That's not your head in the video. Um, <laughs> must be a lot of banter flying around the dressing room at that point, now, mustn't there? Yeah, again, there is, but it, it's behind sort of closed doors. You know, it's it's the school teacher thing. When the manager walks in the room or a coach walks in the room, it's like you know, everyone zips yeah. it, zips it shut. I think you you probably know as a manager that everyone's talking about you behind your back, but no yeah, one's quite brave enough to say anything to your face at, at that stage. Everything's going terribly, and then Paul Jules thinks, well, I've hit rock bottom, surely. No, you haven't, Paul. <laughs> maybe he was doing it just up, but maybe he's doing the Mourinho thing and trying to deflect from the players you know, and take, <laughs> yeah, take yeah. some of the pressure off. Maybe it was really clever. 
Yeah, genius. Um, Dan, yeah. D- Danny, before you go, because I'm conscious of your, your time here today, and thank it's you so fine. much for joining us. Uh, you're, for- you're fortunate when we look back at your career and we haven't been able to cover everything, that you've been involved in uh, some squads that have done amazing things. You know, you think of Leeds run to the, the Champions League semi-final. You, you won the League Cup with Borough. We haven't even had a chance to really touch on that. That England squad in, in a, really a, a huge World Cup in 2002. What's it like as a player when you're involved in a squad that's doing something great, that you've got the momentum? I'm thinking particularly at Leeds and Borough with that League Cup and some of the great players that they had at the time. It must just be as a non-footballer, the dream, the, the best feeling when, you've, when you're riding the crest of the wave? Oh, it's phenomenal. Um, obviously, when, when I first came to Leeds, it was a massive move, big, big move, huge club. Played against Coventry and I just thought, you know what, I've got to the stage now where not been playing particularly well. Right, forget about it. Just go out and just play. Shackles are off. Just go out and play. And, and I hit a volley at some point uh, and it hit the bar. And that was the first time I think the Leeds crowd had started singing Danny Mills's effing brilliant and I thought it was a bit of irony at the time <laughs> and I wasn't quite sure they were too serious about it uh, but then uh, suddenly then form picked up started to play well and, and that's all. so to get that adulation from a crowd to get that appreciation is phenomenal I'd had it at Charlton obviously you know when we, we got promoted and then sort of first season in the Premier League but then of course we were struggling and, and got relegated so when the, the crowd sort of your crowd loves you. They love what you do and they appreciate what you're doing is, is incredible. You know, and, I, and I was never the greatest player on the planet. You know, I, was, I never had silky skills or anything like that. But I had plenty of hard work, plenty of endeavour. I think they'll accept your, your failings in terms of ability as long as you give absolutely everything. Then when you get to play for England as well and you, and you do okay, it's that, that, that's when it goes to another level. You know, when, when I had good times at Leeds, people in Leeds knew who I was. You know, the Leeds fans knew who I was. But then you suddenly come back from the England game and it changed. I mean, we were flying, I was flying out, to, flying out from Stansted to, to go on holiday and all of a sudden everybody's looking at you and pointing and you're thinking, and, and it was a bit uncomfortable because it wasn't used to that in any way, shape or form. And of course, it, you know, it wasn't the age of social media. You know, it was really just sort of written press and a little bit of TV. And, and suddenly, having gone from people know you who you are in Leeds because you played for Leeds for sort of three or four seasons, suddenly... The whole country knows who you are. And that was a big, big change. And, and then you just feel you just want to do yourself justice. I, I always say that that moment of one of the proudest moments I ever had, I ever will have in football, uh, is that moment before the Sweden game. You know, standing in the tunnel, looking across and looking across at Anderson, 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 whoever they were. I think all the Swedes were called Anderson <laughs> at that stage. A bit like the Icelandic team now. But you look across and think, I'm about to realise one of the biggest dreams I ever had as a kid. You know, from when I was playing in the, in the garage block, you know, lived in a terraced house, you know, with the garages at the end, you know, all the garages lined up together on a bit of a slope. We used to open the garages, use them as goals, kick about a tennis ball, get told off by the neighbours for making too much noise. We used to pretend we were Rude Hullet, you know, back in 88, you know, scoring those goals where the locks were flowing forward as he scored that header or the Van Basten volley. And suddenly you're in that sort of similar sort of scenario and you're thinking, I'm about to walk out onto a pitch and represent my country at the highest level possible. Uh, and you yeah. just think, you know, this is, it doesn't get better than this. You know, this is now what I always dreamed of. Uh, and I think that moment when you realise that you're going to represent your country in a competitive match for the first time, in a World Cup for the first time, is something that is very, very difficult to describe, difficult to, to put into words, but something that never, ever will leave you.
And of course, Not you know, that. with the freebies thrown in with the golf clubs and the digital cameras, well, it was kind of perfect, <laughs> oh, wasn't mate. it? Really, it was unbelievable. <laughs> you know, you, I think I've still, I think I still might even have it to this day. I've, I've still, I've still got that true Yorkshire spirit. I, I adopted Yorkshire <laughs> spirit very, very quickly. I've kept by those morals ever since. Danny, so great speaking to you, and, and really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for reminiscing with us here on the Broken Metatarsal. Absolute pleasure. So there you go, Danny Mills giving his take on the noughties for us here on the Broken Metatarsal. Just loved hearing all the stuff he had to say. He's so good, isn't he? He's so good. Yeah, it was brilliant. And that, like, there was just so much that we didn't get around to asking him. I can't believe I, I was gutted, really. I wanted to ask him about the, the game when David James played the last few minutes up front when he was at Man City. So many good yeah. stories. It was actually quite remarkable when we are going through his career how much he was involved in. But he, he really opened up about it and told it. Just great to hear yeah. from someone who was there. I know you didn't talk about Man City more because um, yeah. when, I, when I lived in Leeds, I moved into a flat and there was a, a massive John Macken picture that was there. <laughs> framed and nailed into the wall and we weren't allowed to take it down so i think it was maybe leeds first ever load-bearing john macken picture and i could have mentioned that to danny and i didn't get to do it it would have been great because john macken was was on the bench for that game when david james what was brilliant about it was david james wasn't on the bench he was started he brought nicky yeah. weaver on Swap places with David, you know, with the gloves and stuff. <laughs> David James goes up front while John Macken sits on the bench and Dan Mills was on the bench. <laughs> Just sat there, just, what's going on, Stuart Chris? So it would have said so much we could have spoken about. I'll tell you what else as well was great. Before we started recording, he, he told me a story that um, he nearly signed for Stoke when it, when he was a kid from Norwich and Lou Macari had uh, a rule in place where everyone had to live within five, five miles of the training ground. And, and Danny Mills said he just had a look around the area and thought, do you know what? No. And then right at the end of the podcast, he said he basically grew up, you know, like a garage block. How bad is Stoke? <laughs> he's grown up yeah. in what sounded like, you know, quite a, a working class area that he, he still thought, no, absolutely not. No, I'm all right. Holmesy, that was the bit when he said, you're not recording this, are you? Is that, was, it was that bit, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, sorry, Danny. We're the people of Stoke we're, we'll be very forgiving about that. We're quite self-deprecating, so I, will, I wouldn't worry. This episode was brought to you by our friends at Football Index, the football stock market, where you can buy and sell players for real money. Sign up today at footballindex.co.uk and take advantage of their seven-day £500 money-back guarantee. T's and C's available online, and if you get a moment, check out begambleaware.co.uk. You can, of course, contact us by emailing contact at planetfootball.com. And although we feel a little bit cheeky asking, if you get a moment to subscribe, rate, and maybe even leave a review, that would be fantastic, although it always feels a little bit eggy asking for things like that. But yeah, uh, but, please but, do it. But, but, but do it, yeah. But still do it, though. That'd be great. Okay, uh, thank you, Mark and Mark. Much appreciated. Thank Thanks you. Thanks very much for having me. We'll be back for episode three next week here on the Broken Metatarsal. <laughs>